listening to the Alberta Advantage on CJSW 90.9 FM on Treaty 7 territory in Calgary. My name is Kate Jacobson and I produce the Alberta Advantage, where we offer analysis on Albertan and Canadian history and politics from a perspective that doesn't always get a lot of airtime. Hello and welcome to the Alberta Advantage. I am your host, Kate Jacobson, and joining Team Advantage today, we have Joel. Hello. Rory. Hi. And Sean. I'm here. I'm Sean. So today we're going to talk about the Alberta-shaped hole in the global rat population distribution. Many of our listeners may already be aware, but Alberta has actually long prided itself as being the world's largest officially rat-free jurisdiction. Rats are illegal in Alberta, except in specially approved circumstances such as scientific research. And pet rat owners can actually be fined. They can potentially even be jailed. And besides kind of just being interesting in and of itself, that there's like a big Alberta-shaped hole when you look at like a map of where rats are in the world, the history of rat control in Alberta really has all of the classic Alberta things you would expect. Chief among them, incompetent privatization schemes, racism and disrespect for Indigenous people, and pumping poison into the environment. So When we started researching this episode, we kind of realized that Alberta's rat control program can really be understood as more than just sort of this simple technocratic exercise in like eliminating a pest within like a certain set of borders. It is really more about how humans manage ecosystems. And we're also going to try and think politically about the kinds of management that are used and like who this benefits when we manage ecosystems in this particular way. And by the end of this episode, we are going to determine whether banning rats is neoliberalism or not. So stay tuned. It's worth doing a quick overview of the history of rats and humans because it reveals some important political themes that recur in Alberta's rat control program. First off, we should qualify exactly what we mean by rats. There are many species of rats around the world, including some that are native to Alberta, such as roof rats and wood rats, which can be found in our beautiful national parks. But usually what people think of is the Norway rat or brown rat. And the brown rat's not native to the Americas. It's originally from Eastern Asia, but it spread throughout the entire Eurasian landmass over the past few centuries. And like other rats, it's pretty adaptable. It'll eat almost anything organic. And it's relatively intelligent and a very rapid breeder. So the development of agriculture is what really turns rats into pests. The existence of vermin, uh, the existence of this idea of vermin originates at the same time as like hierarchical class society appears like thousands of years ago. That said, rats did and still do eat a large percentage of food produced by humans. Uh, They're known carriers of disease, most infamously the medieval Black Death that killed at least a quarter of the European population. Although more recent research suggests rats weren't solely responsible for this. And rats also just damage buildings and infrastructure they live in. So controlling rat populations has basically been a concern for human society for a really, really long period of time. Something as simple as like domestic cats can honestly be thought of as sort of this important Bronze Age technological advance in dealing with rodents. And there's also things like traps, poison, trained dogs, and all these sorts of other methods that have been developed over the years. There are even like popular YouTube channels where you can see farmers like test out rodent control methods, although apparently they do have to censor the moment of the traps bringing so they aren't demonetized. This human concern about rat control is 
often extended to the negative impacts that rats can have on not only us, you know, we, we of course like to think of ourselves first, but also other living beings and the ecosystems that rats can get unknowingly or unintentionally introduced to. So they can pretty much obliterate any sort of nesting bird populations, any sort of island-dwelling birds that are maybe not used to having a small egg-eating mammal, and maybe that's why they evolved to lay their (laughs) eggs on that island in the first place. Lots of accounts throughout history of species going extinct solely because of animals like rats being introduced and uh, devastating vulnerable eggs and young. New Zealand in particular is a very unique ecosystem that we'll talk about a little bit more at the end of the episode, but they are attempting right now to eradicate rat populations on a number of their smaller islands and actually have plans to eliminate all rats in the country by 2050. Rats spread by following human movement patterns, but European colonization after about 1500 really carries them to every corner of the world except Antarctica. So in this sense, rats as an invasive species are not so much an accident, but a product of human social systems like imperialism. Colonialism should also be thought of in environmental terms, and its extractive purposes shapes how one group of humans manages the ecosystems appropriated from others. Uh, Rats followed European settlement into the North American interior using the infrastructure like railways, which were built to facilitate the incorporation of the Great Plains into the global capitalist economy. The development of urban industrial capitalism massively increased their population. And since rats aren't fond of cold weather, climate change is predicted to grow their population and range even further. Now we want to see how this general political framework that we've set up for rats applies to Alberta specifically. The rat invasion, so to speak, in Alberta basically starts in earnest in about 1950. And this is when the first Norway rats started crossing the Saskatchewan-Alberta border. However, there were fears before that because the westward spread of the rat as a species was actually being closely monitored and tracked as they moved across the country from docks on the eastern board. And really more than any ecological threat, like that wasn't really what the Alberta government was thinking about, mostly what the government of Alberta was considering was the potential economic impact of rats. And this is because rats do things like damage crops eat grain, and they generally impact the overall like productive capacity of farmland in Alberta. And then in 1950, rats are officially declared a pest, which according to the 1942 Agricultural Pests Act of Alberta, meant that, and I quote, every person in every municipality had to destroy and prevent their establishment end quote, with the punishment of fines for noncompliance with not, you know, destroying rats and preventing their establishment in Alberta. There was also an amendment to this act in 1950. And what it did is it mandated that every municipality had to appoint a pest control supervisor, which basically kicked the responsibility for this onto cities and towns, which is just classic government of Alberta. Like you can imagine the GOA doing this right now. It's incredible. It's never changed. Just downloading services onto municipalities. It's perfect. It's just like, yeah, we have this thing. Yes, it is Alberta wide. Yes, it's very important that it is like provincially coordinated. Otherwise, there will be massive gaps and it won't work. However, we are not going to do it. And instead, (laughs) the cost and responsibility will be downloaded onto people who have a fraction of our tax base. But don't even worry about it. So around this time, this is also when the government started doing some basic education. Uh, You've maybe seen uh, floating around somewhere uh, the posters that started getting printed around this time. Posters about trying to find rats, what they look like, how you have to seek them out, destroy them. Um, There's also pamphlets. 
and uh, also notably uh, live presentations that provincial employees would conduct in the counties and towns that were by the Saskatchewan border. A lot of the officials at this point figured that a part of the problem is that a lot of people didn't know what rats even looked like, which is kind of a funny thing to think of now. I mean, like, you know, it's a rat. It, it's, it, it looks like a rat. But uh, at the time, this was actually probably true. There was a lot of little fuzzy rat-looking rodenty creatures that are uh, uh, native to our prairies. And uh, it's not unreasonable to want to uh, uh, educate people on the border the difference between those native rodents that we want to encourage in our uh, uh, ecosystem. Well, I mean, they weren't thinking about that at the time, but I mean, I care about that, I suppose, and the invading rats that they wanted everyone to kill. So uh, because of this, uh, they procured a bunch of dead preserved rats, uh, I think from Saskatchewan, and uh, they uh, used those in the demonstrations. So they were just carting dead rats from town to town to show the populace. That's, uh, and that's what they did for entertainment back then. So they ran off about 2,000 posters and another 1,500 pamphlets were distributed. And these began to develop kind of a visual language used by these propaganda devices, which would be refined and sharpened in the continuing years, which we will talk about a little bit more later. This sort of idea of how the rat is like depicted is kind of has a lot of implications, many of which are actually quite negative. And the government's first big action plan was to hire a man named Napoleon Poulain in 1952. This is where the incompetent privatization scheme starts. He had a private pest control business uh, riding off the back of his extremely marketable and popular rat doom powder, a poison that he invented and sold across the country. So I did a little bit of looking into this, and as far as I could reasonably tell, uh, quote-unquote rat doom powder was literally just powdered arsenic trioxide, which is an extremely potent and dangerous poison. So, uh, yeah, he just invented arsenic, basically, and marketed it. So he didn't invent arsenic. He just marketed arsenic. Uh, so uh, He uh, pretended he invented arsenic. Exactly. He, he pretended he invented arsenic. So a true Albertan hero. So, as explained by the official Government of Alberta account, hiring Poulin was done to, quote, buy time so the government could produce its own plan. That said, it seems equally likely that they just hoped they could pay a guy to make this problem go away, which again is a very Albertan approach to a problem, which is we're going to siphon a bunch of public money to this huckster, to this guy, and hopefully it will make the problems in our society go away without actually addressing any of the sources of problems in our society or the way they manifest. Um, and Poulin's crews proceeded to blow around 63,000 kilograms of extremely poisonous arsenic powder underneath 8,000 buildings in a strip between Medicine Hat and Provost. And this treatment was very, was apparently like quite haphazard, especially because they did a variety of things, such as improperly targeting temporary structures that would be dismantled or moved seasonally. And what this does is it exposes the arsenic uh, to the surrounding area. The crews were only supposed to treat permanent structures so the surrounding area wouldn't be exposed to this, quote, rat doom powder. 
they would also lie regularly about the arsenic. They would say it was safe for animals and people, or they would just not tell people that they were using arsenic at all. And because of this, livestock and pets in the area kept getting poisoned for years after the treatments of this rat doom powder. And the government of Alberta had to send letters to residents until 1955, basically warning them how badly everything in the area was poisoned. So this is the classic Alberta story of just destroying the environment and pumping poison into the ground. And, and it's not even it's not even for oil in this case, which is really the stunning part. And what's so great about this is that it cost the government a ton of money. Um, so Poulin's team was $152,670 for a year of treatments. Alberta would not spend that much money on rat control again until 1978. And furthermore, the vast majority of this cost, a little under three quarters, was for buying the arsenic powder, which Poulin sold himself. So just an incredible privatization racket. A total disaster, a ton of animals died, and a bunch of money was wasted. And also, it didn't work. So who can say conclusively if it was bad or not? So with that $152,000 figure that Poulin basically billed the government for, if those were $1952, uh, that's equivalent to almost a million and a half dollars in today's currency, just inflation adjusted. So a million and a half dollars worth of arsenic powder spread along the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. Great stuff. Money well spent. I, I awesome. don't see the problem with that. So I did find one interesting thing when I was like looking around for more Napoleon Poulin information. Uh, and it's that uh, Poulin's pest control is still like in a functioning company. And uh, according to a profile on Lincoln Poulin. Uh, Which is why the entire episode, I want to remind everyone, is parody. <laughs> That's true. Parody, parody. We're actually sponsored by uh, Poulin's Pest Control. Uh, if you <laughs> have some pests. we're doing this episode in Minecraft. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, there's this profile of Lincoln Poulin, the, uh, uh, you know, grandson of Napoleon Poulin. And it begins with, in 1953, Poulin's was hired to eliminate all the rats in Alberta. 18 months later, Alberta was declared rat-free. Neither of those is true. They were hired in 1952. And Alberta was definitely not declared rat-free because there's the rest of this episode that we have to talk about. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there is actually a few times throughout Alberta's history, and I, I didn't really include them because there's so many of them, that Alberta declared itself rat-free. I think there's like five different times, like once in the 50s, once in the 60s, a couple times in the 80s. Um, we're never truly rat-free. Uh, it's a constant battle. So in 1953, the government decided to actually take over uh, the rat control program, and they fired Poulin, and they then began to implement their own plan. During this period, the government also switched from the use of arsenic and other generalist poisons to instead use warfarin, which is an anticoagulant that can be distributed in oat cakes or feeders. And warfarin is much, much safer because it doesn't move or blow around. It's less likely for farm animals to eat, uh, and it's generally not immediately deadly. And it doesn't bioaccumulate where prey species eat something. And then as predators eat those, the amount of like toxins con concentrates in their body, which was an issue that was discovered with, I believe, DDT. Yeah, that's right. It also means that if an animal eats some of it, it doesn't stay in their system. Uh, so if like an animal that's not supposed to be eating it eats a little bit of it and goes away, um, it'll just flush it out and otherwise be healthy. You have to be eating it over time to be able to get the effects. 
And rats love to eat warfarin. They do love to eat warfarin. A lot of the pamphlets at this time had little cartoon rats saying like, it's killing me, but I love to eat it. Uh, which uh, echoes the famous Donald Trump tweet of, uh, I'll keep drinking this garbage in reference to Diet Coke. So truly, truly the rat pamphlets were, were ahead of their time. So the municipalities on the Saskatchewan border were increasingly getting frustrated with the provincially mandated pest control officers that they had to foot the bill for. Recall that, of course, they're mandated by law to establish these officers and pay for them and get, they don't get much support from the government of Alberta. They were especially resentful of the fact that they seem to be paying for the fact that the rest of Alberta got to enjoy this uh, rat-free status. So just because they're on the border, they have this uh, particular responsibility that everyone else in Alberta gets to enjoy the benefits from. The government of Alberta relented and agreed to help cover 50% of the salary and expenses needed to fund pest control officers in the seven municipalities on the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. Don't get it twisted, though. This wasn't like a shift to like a a broad, publicly funded, like well-staffed rat control program. This was still a very bare-bones operation for a project that was attempting something of this scale. There was seven counties and seven pest control officers, one for each of the counties, plus a couple people in the provincial government doing the basic coordination and support. I think there was only like one full-time staff member hired directly by the provincial government. Warfarin was provided to municipalities for free by the province, but other than that, it was like uh, basically the number of people you can count on two hands meant to defend the entire province from one of the most invasive species in the world. So with so few people on the ground, you might be asking yourself, how in God's name was this supposed to work? Alberta didn't even offer bounties for rat tails, which is something that other provinces did to help encourage citizens to participate in the efforts to keep provinces rat free. Alberta's government still wanted to pass the work off to Albertans, but they had a very different plan for how they were going to accomplish it. And basically, it was that by ramping up their education and public messaging efforts, the hope was to convince individuals, and specifically landowners, that it was in their own best interest to keep their towns and farms rat-free. So this looks like the production and distribution of pamphlets, posters, and other informational materials, and the imagery and language that was being used in these materials was becoming more and more explicitly violent and emotional. So rats are being depicted as like menacing, shadowy figures with calls to kill him before he can destroy health, home, and industry. And they're depicted not only as a threat to Alberta, but as a threat to private property. And because most of the messaging was aimed at these landowners or at farm owners more precisely, it becomes a very dominant message. And the pamphlets basically promote this ideal of like a proper, clean farm that is free of rats and the messes that would attract rats. And you get these like very aspirational illustrations and photos of like smiling white men hugging their clean white families in front of their clean white farms. And whether it's sort of intentional or sort of just this like unintentional product of like hegemony, the idea of a rat-free Alberta basically became an important part of like this burgeoning Albertan national identity that sought to differentiate itself 
from the rest of Canada and the rat becomes like an outsider that the Albertan identity could be constructed in opposition against. And I think that's where you get a lot of the things like the rat is an obstacle to like making money off of your land. Like the rat is an obstacle to the nuclear family. The rat is an obstacle to like private property. It's all about this very specific construction of what Alberta really is. I think it's funny also because at the time you have like a social credit government in Alberta and you have a CCF government in Saskatchewan. And so the, the rats are coming from Saskatchewan is kind of the message. <laughs> and, and it's hard not to read some of the like Cold War anti-communism, uh, anti-socialism into some of this like anti-rat propaganda that's going on as well. These new pamphlets also sported a shiny new slogan and icon, one that would persist for quite a few decades. The slogan was Crua. It's like K-R-O-O-A, which is a acronym for Keep Rats Out of Alberta, along with a like silhouette cartoon of an indigenous man. Uh, it has like a sort of uh, stereotypical feather uh, coming out of the head, holding a gun and a rat. Uh, so a lot going on there. Um, and speaking of uh, disrespectful uh, behavior towards Indigenous people, uh, on that note, the government had a lot of issues in this time with getting buy-in for this whole rat control plan from Indigenous communities in north-central Alberta. So these communities had, you know, some fears about using poison and distributing poison around their communities. Uh, I don't know, maybe because of all of the poisonings that had happened mere years earlier all around them by the company that the government hired to poison rats. Um, so for whatever reason, a lot of these indigenous communities were skeptical or uh, sort of uh, distrusting of warfarin distribution in their territories. So um, there are reports of pest control officers that still attempted to distribute the warfarin despite not being uh, wanted and this warfarin being dug up and destroyed. So this is a truly spectacular story, and one that the government of Alberta seems to be proud of or brags about, because they, it's on their official website. Um, but to deal with this conflict, the Albertan government sent a Agriculture Alberta staff member to a meeting with community members to eat a warfarin bait tablet in order to prove it was harmless. Um, Imagine you're like the, the member of the civil service and your boss is like, yeah, you have to just go like eat some poison in front of some people because of all the racism we're doing. What was the slogan of the civil service union at the time? We love to eat poison. They're like the rats. <laughs> uh, so so to be fair, warfarin isn't super dangerous to people in low doses. It's actually um, prescribed as a medication for people with high blood pressure, but it it, it it still has some pretty nasty side effects. I mean, it's, it's like an anticoagulant. It's, it stops you from being able to form blood clots. Um, but this uh, demonstration still has a lot of sort of messed up vibes to it. When I read about this, it reminded me of like Obama drinking the Flint water in front of people in that press conference or uh, the American politician John Hickenlooper drinking fracking juice to like, prove that like or fracking fluid to prove that it was you know safe uh it's just it it's it feels like a parlor trick and 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 it feels i don't know i would feel very insulted if someone did that to me i suppose uh, it's belittling in a way but apparently this or more likely a lot of consultation in a few town halls had the desired effect and the conflict over warfarin simmered down after that and despite having only a handful of paid staff and no bounty system alberta's plan seemed to actually start working in the latter half of the 1960s. 
annual reported rat infestations dropped drastically from around 600 a year at the end of the 50s to less than half of that at the end of the 1960s. So rat sightings in Alberta continued to decrease over the years, and the idea of a rat-free Alberta becomes very firmly a part of the rural Albertan identity. In the 1970s, the government of Alberta increases their share of funding for the rat control program, and it actually goes to 100% funding in 1975, effectively taking full control of the program. They take the, like, racist indigenous caricature uh, out of the Crua logo, keep rats out of Alberta. But other than that, the educational material remained almost exactly the same well into the 70s. And by this point, the, the effort to keep rats out of Alberta has mostly reshifted to annual checkups and border monitoring instead of kind of actively hunting and destroying nests of rats. Saskatchewan also starts its own rat control program in the 1960s, which also helps slow kind of the, the vermin tide of, of rats. Now, there has been basically like a couple of changes and innovations in uh, keeping Alberta rat-free technology since then, uh, notably the switch to a much more stable and long-lasting version of Warfarin in 1992, but literally mostly Keeping Alberta rat-free is the same as it was in the 1960s. So even today, there is a handful of county pest control officers, a handful of provincial employees, and most importantly, thousands of loyal Albertan subjects who are willing to defend their homes from the evil, wretched rat. There was one notable exception. There was a major rat infestation at the Medicine Hat City garbage dump in 2012, and that took several years to eliminate. But otherwise, we're still rat-free. And that is basically the story of keeping Alberta rat-free. You know, like we said, it really is like a such a great microcosm of Alberta. Like the failed government contract to like a private company, the like latent xenophobia, the like disrespect of indigenous people. Just like all the classic Alberta hits that you know from living in the worst province in all of Canada. <laughs> But I think more than anything, this actually shows how powerful Alberta's method of rat control actually was. This attempt to use the Albertan identity itself as a motive political force for rat destruction. So, I mean, the government could have just hired more pest control workers or paid for bounties like other places did. But instead, they ideologically conditioned border farmers to do this work themselves. And this wasn't done, uh, or this like animus for rats wasn't pulled out of thin air. It, it was actually done partially, again, whether intentionally or unintentionally, by tying the idea of a rat-free Alberta uh, into uh, a latent xenophobia that was fostered and developed in Canada and North America generally during World War II. So these posters produced by the government in the 50s used the language, colors, and, and even the composition uh, that was very evocative of anti-Japanese World War II posters, the ones that you know depicted Japanese people as uh, sneaky invaders uh, and used these intense racial caricatures to uh, dehumanize and villainize Japanese people. Albertans would have been familiar with those images because it was the 1950s. It is literally within a decade of the end of World War II. People were very much in that mindset. That is recent history. And, and using that visual language to tap into that same animus, uh, but against rats, was definitely a, a part of what helped tie 
that anti-rat idea into the Albertan uh, identity. In case you were unaware, Alberta also has a pretty dark history with Japanese internment camps, as the province was home to sugar beet farms that were used as work camps for thousands of Japanese Canadians who were forcibly relocated from British Columbia following the Pearl Harbor attacks and Canada's declaration of war on Japan in December of 1941. So the rat basically is like an outsider that Albertan identity is like built around excluding. So, you know, to be a good Albertan, you have to have a clean rat-free farm. The idea of cleanliness, it's also worth pointing out, that's used in this rat propaganda also has very xenophobic undertones and kind of ideas of like cleanliness and like immigrants and other like oppressed people sort of like bringing like filth or like being like dirty is like a very key platform plank of like white supremacy and particularly like white supremacy as it existed in North America at the time. This whole thing also like really plays into kind of emerging like cultural narratives of Alberta as a place that stands alone and apart from the rest of Canada. And I think that by like framing the rats as evil and embracing an identity that excluded them when like no one else in Canada like would or could exclude rats is is part of building this sense of like Albertan moral superiority, which like everyone else has talked around is based around like the nuclear family being white, owning property. Personally, I think that building the identity of what it means to be an Albertan around exclusion and natalism was probably an extremely bad idea. So in conclusion, keeping Alberta rat free is the most Alberta story of all time. We hope you have learned a lot from this episode of the podcast. Take care out there and stay safe, everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can hear a longer version of this episode and many more on albertaadvantagepod.com. So long, Calgary.